how that he brought him into the world. He, Hebrews chapter 1 verse 6 says, When he brought him into the world, he said, Let all of God's angels worship him. You may remember the Christmas story and how the angels all came and worshipped. There was a multitude of angels worshipping him. That was because God told them to. And in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 8 he says, Of the Son, he says, still talking about what God is saying, Of the Son, he, God, says, Your throne, O God, is forever. God calls the Son God. Amen? Isn't that the way you read that? God the Father calls God the Son God and says your throne is forever. So I'm speaking to you on the subject of why I believe Jesus is God. He is God in the flesh, but still he is equal to the Father. He's not God the Father. He's God the Son. You may be familiar with John chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It was the reason, the fact that Jesus presented himself as equal to the Father is the reason that the Jews tried to kill him. Have you ever thought, why did they crucify Jesus? What was their motive? What's the point? He didn't rob banks. He wasn't a bad man. John chapter 10, verse 33 when they took up stones to stone him, he said, uh, why are you stoning me? What good work are you stoning me for? And they said, it's not a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make yourself God. That's John 10, So Jesus presented himself as God. Now, how did he do that? Well, let me give you three or four things here that is that to me show evidence that he is divine. One is he asserted himself as Lord of the Sabbath. Now that's a big deal in Judaism. Um, and it was against Jewish law to heal. They considered that work, practicing medicine. So you heal on Monday, not on Sunday or Friday rather than Saturday. John 5, 9 says, though he came across a lame man near the pool and he healed him and it was on the Sabbath. John 9, 14 says he healed a blind man on the Sabbath. You'll notice his healings, he seemed to intentionally pick the Sabbath as if to tweak the Jewish Pharisees. 
And why would he do that? Because he's presenting himself as Lord of the Sabbath, John 5, 18. This is why the Jews were seeking to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but calling God his Father, making himself equal with God. And in Matthew 12, 8, Jesus says, one who is greater than the Sabbath is among you. Oh, they must have pulled their hair out. Can you imagine? Greater than the Sabbath. Also, another evidence that uh, Jesus presents himself as, as God is that he forgave sins. Matthew 9, 5 he says to this man, remember how they let this, uh, this paralytic down through the roof? They couldn't get him in the door, so many people around. So they took part of the roof off and lowered him through the top of the roof right in front of Jesus as he's teaching in this house. And Jesus looked at the man and said, uh, son, your sins are forgiven you. Now think about that for what if I looked at one of you and said, your sins are forgiven you. I forgive you. I pronounce you absolved of all your guilt. Well, two problems. One is, I don't even know what all your sins are. Pretty sure it's longer than what I know about you. It's a bigger list than it looks. So how do I do that? can I don't know and number two is where did I get such authority as that you didn't sin against me your sins are against God how do I forgive you for something that's like uh, I, I canceled you of your mortgage debt well I don't have your mortgage debt that's going to have to come from your mortgage holder I don't have that authority Jesus forgave sins and plus in first century Judaism, you could not go and get forgiveness just anywhere. You had to go to the temple. Deuteronomy 12 makes that clear. He said, you to seek the place the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes. And there you will go and bring your burnt offerings. You bring your burnt offerings to the temple where he chose. You can't just go anywhere. And yet Jesus is saying, I'm a mobile altar. Where I go, you can get forgiveness through me. I'm a temple that moves around. <laughs> and a third thing is he raised the dead. Now there's a clue. <laughs> I mean, if, uh, if Jesus can raise the dead, that makes him more than a prophet. In John 11, he raised Lazarus from the dead after Lazarus had been dead three days. In Luke 7, he raised a little boy from the dead. In Matthew 9, he raised a little girl from the dead. And he also promised in John 11 to raise all of those who believe in him from the dead. Have you ever considered how difficult that would be? I doubt that you have even considered attempting it. I read the story, uh, you know, a lot of people have 
uh, uh, cremating the remains these days. And uh, one man was, uh, uh, an elderly man had died and they had cremated him and his ashes were put in an urn and placed on the dining table and the family was all gathering around to honor him and and uh, the uh, eldest uh, daughter looked up and said uh, where where's grandpa's ashes and they began to look around they couldn't find it and uh, the grandmother was a little senile and they noticed that the dishwasher was running and opened it up and she had mistaken the urn for soap and had poured it in and I guess grandpa had washed the dishes <laughs> for the first time in his life. <laughs> but have you thought how does one gather up all this DNA and put a body back together? Only God. But one final evidence is that he received worship. In Matthew 2.11, the wise men, when Jesus was born, in the very beginning of his life on earth, wise men came from the east. They fell down, it says Matthew 2.11, and worshipped him and gave from his, their treasures gold, frankincense, and myrrh. In Matthew 8.2, when in his ministry Jesus had grown up, there came a leper and he worshipped him. In Matthew 9, 18, there was a ruler who came and worshipped him, the rich young ruler. And then at the end of his life, after his resurrection, Matthew 28, 9, those who had seen him in his resurrection, they came, took hold of him, and worshipped him. So at the beginning, in the middle, and at the end of his earthly life, he was worshipped. And he never turned them down. Now, if I came to you and I fell down at your feet and laid hold of your ankles and looked up and said, I worship you, what would you think of that? You would think I was off my rocker. If you came and you took hold of my ankles and you said, I worship you, I would, you know, remember that Santa Claus thing? I'd kick you away. Go. You're scaring me. We know that that doesn't fit us. But in the Bible, men, women, and angels, and the church worships Jesus Christ. And Philippians 2.10 says one day that everything in heaven and everything in earth and everything under the earth, every tongue will confess he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus is fully God as well as fully man. Now what difference does this really make? I mean, this is theology. But what about, what, what, how does that matter in my life? Well, let me give you two or three reasons why this is important. One is, and I just touch on this because it's history and a lot of people don't, care for history, but this does, when you worship Jesus as God, this puts us in the direct stream 
of mainline historic Christianity. Uh, to depart from this, such as uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, which, by the way, are a fairly new cult, only maybe 100 years old. The historic stream of Christianity, going back to the first century, 2,000 years, worship Jesus as God. All of those who depart are fairly new. And by novel, I mean they are about 100 years old or less. One governor in Rome around 100 AD wrote to the emperor. His name was Pliny. Explaining who the Christians were, he said, Well, they meet early on Sunday morning and in their assemblies chant a hymn to Christ as God. So even then, it was recognized by the secular government that Christians worship Jesus as God. So it puts us, it, it matters because it means we are in the mainstream and, the, and the, the historic, traditional church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not in a cult when you worship Jesus as God. A second difference and, and, and importance to this thing is that it means that our atonement is complete. If Jesus is not God and only man, he's a mere prophet. The uh, Islam says Jesus is a prophet. He's a good man, good prophet. But listen to Psalm 49, verse 7. No man can ransom another man or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of a man's life is costly and one can never have sufficiency that he should live forever and not see defeat. No man can ransom another why not? Because, well, we're sinners for one thing, and my, my life is not enough to pay to God for the, all the sins that someone's committed. And I can assure you that your life, even if you are virtuous, is not sufficient to pay for all my sins. I can assure you. So where do we find a ransom? Is it in the sacrifices of the Old Testament? Remember that the sacrifices of the Old Testament were never enough to satisfy God's judgments. <clears throat> in the Old Testament, God's judgment always exceeded the sacrifices. It all the, the judgments of God, the fire that would come down and consume the sacrifice was always greater than the sacrifice itself. That's why in 2 Chronicles 1.6, Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings. But it wasn't enough. And in 2 Chronicles 5, verse 6, 
It says Solomon and all the congregation of Israel assembled before him, before the ark, sacrificed so many sheep and so many oxen that they lost count and could not be numbered. That's so many. Uh, how many is this? Well, last week we did a thousand. I know it's over a thousand. Maybe it's two. I don't know. I lost count. Elijah the prophet confronting the false prophets of Baal in 1 Kings 18.38 prepared an altar. You remember this story? And he said, pour water on it. So they poured water on this altar. And the fire of the Lord failed to consume the sacrifice that was on it. And here's what the text says, 1 Kings 18.38. The fire of the Lord failed, consumed the burnt offering and the wood <clears throat> that burned it and the stones that were surrounding it and the dust underneath it and it licked up the water that was in the trench. You see, the judgment always was more than the sacrifice was sufficient for. It's like you pay a bill, but you can never pay enough. You never pay what's due. It's always less. None of the sacrifices of the Old Testament could ever reach the point of atonement. That's why Hebrews 10.4 says, It is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away the sins of men. It's not possible. Here's my point. The requirement and the judgment in the Old Testament was always greater than the payment. You could never have a sacrifice that was not consumed totally with with uh, fires going outward and forward and looking for more to burn. Then you come to the cross. And you remember Jesus was hanging on the cross, Mark 15, 34, and he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The judgment came upon Jesus instead of you. The only time... Jesus ever called God, God was right there at the cross. Not Father, but God. He taught us to pray. He said, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven. In John 17, he, he, he knelt and he prayed, oh, Holy Father. Jesus called God his Father. But here on the cross, he called him my God because Jesus was separated from the Father as a substitute for us. But then I want to know, I want to show you something. Jesus spoke seven times from the cross. Do you know what the last thing he said was? Out of seven sayings on the cross, what was number seven? Here's what Luke says. 
At the end, when he had gone through the hours of darkness and the separation from the Father, Luke 23, 46, Jesus called out with a loud voice and said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. What does that tell us? For the first time, the sacrifice outlasted the judgment. Can I get an amen? For the first time, see, Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was forsaken. But before he died, he was father, <laughs> reconciled again, you see. With a loud voice, he's not, he's not slumping in weakness. He's got a loud voice calling God his Father. Why? Because the judgment was done, and he outlasted the consuming fire of God's wrath and separation. Settle down. We have to remember that the only way that Jesus could have done this is Jesus was equal to the Father. So his deity, his divinity, his equality saves us. And thank God for that. Because... God is a God of absolute righteousness and justice. And, and if we go into eternity with one bit of unrighteousness about us, we will be rejected. God doesn't grade on the curve at the final judgment. There was a man, I, I baptized him, this is years ago, and he used to, to come to church, and God did a wonderful work in his life, and he, he died of cancer about 10, 15 years ago. But he had been divorced, and he got pulled over right up here, my understanding is, right up here at Saginaw and Bristol Road. Got pulled over. He was a good man, and he was paying child support, but when they pulled him over, he was... 50 cents behind. The law is the law. And he went to jail for 50 cents behind. See, that's the law. That's justice. Because justice is justice. And we think of God as a God of great grace, but that grace is only in Christ. whose person and dignity and majesty was sufficient before God. Let me give you one quick final note. Why does this matter? Because of the honor and glory that is due him. If Jesus is God, we owe him glory and praise. 
Revelation 5.12 says, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Now I heard every creature in heaven and earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Notice, to him who sits on the throne, that's God the Father, and to the Lamb, that's God the Son, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever. They both receive the same adulation. They both receive the same worship. And the four living creatures said, Amen. They have the same honor. There's honor and glory due to Jesus. Jan and I went to see the movie uh, Dunkirk this past week. You all may know a little bit about that uh, history in World War II when three, over 300,000 British and French soldiers were trapped on the shoreline of Dunkirk in France. And the Germans had pushed them back all the way through France right up to the English Channel. And, and they were there trapped they couldn't go into France because of the Germans, and they couldn't go, they couldn't escape because they had no way out. And the king of Great Britain at that time, King George, declared a day of prayer, a national day of prayer. Uh, did I, do we have this picture? Of, I, I don't know if you can make this out, but they had uh, pictures like this and testimonials in World War II. This is in May of 1940. People lined up like this to attend the cathedrals for prayer. The churches were packed out to pray for the rescue of these 300,000 British soldiers because that was a third of their army. And for some unexplained reason, Hitler decided not to press the battle. He stopped. Some thought that he was going to just use planes to wipe them out. But then a fog came in and he grounded all the aircraft and he gave one week of respite where those British soldiers over 300,000 escaped uh, civilians sent their little boats. Every civilian in London that had a boat, they sent it over, and they rescued over 300,000 British in answer to prayer. So I thought, I want to see this movie. We go through the movie, and I'm starting to get a little bit annoyed. There was not one shred Praise to God. It was just lucky breaks. I don't like that. For, for, because for one thing, it's not true. God answered prayer. He ought to be acknowledged. He ought to be given glory for that. And this is the way it is with the Lord Jesus Christ. If he is God, 
that should be acknowledged. Not only the Son of God, but God the Son. And as John Stott said, nobody can call himself a Christian who does not worship Jesus. To worship him if he is not God is idolatry. To not worship him if he is God is apostasy. Therefore, I call upon this church to honor Jesus as God and celebrate his glory in our life and in our church. Amen. May Jesus Christ.